Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello and welcome to Newsweek's Parting Shot, your dose of everything pop culture. I'm H. Allen Scott. Do you sometimes miss the childlike joy of making that single cookie in an easy bake oven? I wasn't allowed to have an easy bake oven, so I don't know what that's like, and I'm very jealous of you. Well, Queer Eye's Anthony Porofsky is ready to scratch that nostalgic itch with Netflix's Easy Bake Battle, the home cooking competition. The reality series is where home cooks compete in both sweet and savory cooking challenges for a $100,000 grand prize using full-size ovens with restrictions mimicking the classic toy ones. Welcome to Easy Bake Battle. I'm Anthony Porosky, and I'm here to show you that good food doesn't have to be complicated or fancy. Smells pretty tasty in there. Yum! And to celebrate the unsung heroes of the home kitchen. We do not give enough credit to the home cooks. I am cooking every day. That has got to count for something. These cooks will use clever tricks to cheat their way to easy and delicious dishes. Mmm. Right? So. <laughs> They'll race against the clock. Is your heart racing? Yes, I'm stressed for them. Oh my God, what? Oh God, that was stressful. For a chance to win up to $100,000. You just took me back to my childhood. Did you just make me cry with your dish? I'll ask you Let me know when you want me to serve you up. This is gonna be good. Now, as I said, when I was a kid, my parents wouldn't let me have an easy bake oven because it was, quote unquote, a girl toy, which Porofsky and I have a great back and forth about this. But to be honest, considering the type of kid I was, I probably would have found a way to burn down the house and or turn my easy bake creations into a little business that would probably go belly up and then I would be really depressed about it. And it just it wouldn't be good. It was probably for the best. I didn't have one. But anyway. Easy Bake Battle certainly scratches that nostalgic itch, and it's a f- just a fun show. Besides me getting over my childhood trauma of being denied a mini oven, Porofsky and I also chatted about his new pet food line, Yummers, and the future of Queer Eye on Netflix. We also went deep into online attacks and how Porofsky mentally ha- handles the negative attention that sometimes happens online on social media, which is shouldn't be news to anyone. It's a It's wild, wild west out there. Listen to the end because it's actually pretty open and raw and I really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, So go on, grab a snack because I will be right back with Anthony Porofsky. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's gonna be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. I am a big fan of an easy bake oven, I will admit. I I feel like this is kind of 
right up my alley. I'm also a cook. So like, I love the idea of this, these two things being combined into one show. Where did the idea come from? Well, the idea I think came, it was a long time coming or like a long time in the making, I should say with, you know, I'm, when I look at, I'm going to take just a step back to, to Queer Eye, which is how, you know, uh, the first thing that I kind of worked on in the public space. And I looked at the power of existing IP and familiarity mm. um, and things that are deeply nostalgic as a nostalgic person. It's how I run my life. Um, yeah. I'm not going to get into the music that I listen to, but we could if we have time. <laughs> sure. um, and so I look at I look at Queer Eye and when Queer Eye was rebooted, um, there were so many people who were so curious to kind of see what the new iteration of the show mm. was going to be for Netflix because there was that familiarity. I used to watch it with my sisters and my family. It was... Um, what I what, what they call a four quadrant show that you can watch the whole family together. And when I knew that I wanted to do some kind of like a cooking competition show, taking notes of what I learned from Queer Eye, the thought of like really empowering people, mm-hmm. um, taking somebody like a home cook um, and showing that what they do has, you know, just as much worth just because it's not, you know, um, explored and displayed on the public stage. Yeah. Well, until Easy Bake Battle, because now yeah. we have home cooks that are literally doing that. But you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah. Um, and and so you know we started looking at at, at different properties, and um, and when the, the idea of an Easy Bake came up, my agent brought it up, and I was just thinking like, okay, first of all, selfishly, I have to do this because yeah. I was denied an Easy Bake oven as a child, and I get to Same. relive this like. My parents were very utilitarian. Their Eastern European parents are like, we have an oven. Why do we need another one? Oh, well, um, that was the reason why I couldn't have it, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, and, and so, you know, just the, the concept or the idea of making everything easy is kind of what I do. Yeah. It's figuring out like simpler ways of, of, of how to get dinner on the table quicker. And when I look at, the pandemic and all of the, the the hacks that I started using and then love it or hate it. I'm still trying to figure it out. But TikTok, yeah. you know, the, the, the whole food section on, on that, on that content platform is based on all of like these Edible. obsessive trends of like baking feta and one pot pasta dishes. And, mm-hmm. you know, there some of them are definitely gimmicky, but other them uh, others are literally mothers who have three kids with different dietary needs. And for whatever <laughs> reason, she's making different meals, figuring out, how to get shit done in a short yeah. amount of time. Yeah. And we decided to do a show about it paired with um, my love of uh, Jeopardy and the idea that a person can continue um, uh, on to, to win $100,000 and, 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 and kind of like go through the challenges as we get to know more about their personalities. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, kind of queer, you know, Easy Bake was, was born. I was about to say Queer Eye because that's been my yeah. life for such a long time. It's automatic, but it's Easy yeah. Bake Battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's that's kind of how it how it sort of came to be. Yeah, the nostalgia factor really sticks out to me because I also, I mean, I'm a millennial, so like, of course, I'm a nostalgia person. I, I obsess over all these things. I was just working Same. on. Yeah, exactly. It's just what we do. I mean, and like my Instagram is literally just clips of like things from the aughts. You know what I mean? Like that's just like mm-hmm. what my life has become now. That's my Instagram handle, and it's like, it's it's so this show really sort of scratches that itch of like. The adults, I don't know if maybe, I don't, I mean, I, I watched some of the contestants and I'm like, I have a feeling that dude did not want an easy bake oven the way I wanted an easy bake oven when <laughs> I was a kid. But I love that, like, they're embracing that sort of like childlike need to 
have fun with something and sort of embrace mm -hmm. that sort of child moment of like, yeah, I want to bake one cookie in a tiny little slot. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's fun. It's a, it's a nice, yeah, yeah. it really scratches the nostalgia ish, the itch that I think a lot of people want to have scratched right now. Totally. And I think that it's, you know, it is this nostalgic thing, but at the same time, it's just, it, it, it really is. I know I said it before, but it bears repeating. It's just like, it's, it's figuring out that ease that these innovative home cooks who do not pursue the culinary arts in a professional capacity and showing yeah. like the genius stuff that they come up with, yeah. whether, you know, we had one of the contestants literally living in Times Square in, uh, I think it was a, 350 square foot apartment and how we can come up with amazing meals to a mom, a, a contestant, Haley, literally carrying twins with yeah. another kid at home and figuring out the stuff that she makes for her family. It's amazing. It really is. And one of the things, I mean, I was worried when I first, before I started watching the show, I was like, are they actually going to have to cook in like this tiny little thing? <laughs> plastic? Like I was really concerned about that. Fortunately they do not, but like what, what are some of the things, if you were a kid and could have had an Easy Bake Oven, what were some of the things that like you would have been dying to cook in an Easy Bake Oven? All right. Well, let's get into nostalgia then. Okay, let's do it. Wasn't, I wasn't allowed fast food, except on my birthday. My parents would throw a party at uh, McDonald's, and I yeah. would have that like wonderful sheet cake with a cloyingly sweet oh. frosting and oh, yes, the I cheeseburgers and the nuggets. This was before snack wraps, yes. before all of that. Yeah. And um, I remember watching Saturday morning cartoons, DuckTales, mm -hmm. Care Bears, you yeah. name it. And there would be commercials for Easy Bake and they had collabs for McDonald's and Pizza Hut. Oh, I don't remember. Which that. I thought was like, it was mind blowing. And it just felt the thought that I could have something that was like so indulgent and decadent. And I felt powerful without even doing it of like being able to do that at home. Yeah. Yeah. just was so exciting to me. And I've always been salty over sweet. Yes. Um, and, and, and with what, what we do with the show also is that we really want to clarify, like there are, you know, baking challenges and, and yeah. things on the sweet side, but we, we try to balance it out with a lot of, uh, a lot of savory because most of the time people are, are creating savory meals, you know, for yeah. sustenance, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, for me, it was just, I remember just seeing that pizza hut commercial and i was thinking like that pepperoni looks wow. just as crispy as it does on the tv commercial wow <laughs> i had no idea that's so wild yeah. to me i we had very different childhoods because my family we would go to three different fast food restaurants on like a wednesday just for the fries the burger and the you know the, the snack afterwards like we would have so that's how i live as a grown-up <laughs> my parents were like you are eating what's on the table and yeah. i was literally i was a picky eater as a kid and i was the last one sitting at the table and I had to finish all my tomatoes and my carrots, wow. even though I hated them. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. Well, so like, like I said, my parents, I did have this experience, and I think a, you know, a lot of queer people can maybe relate to this, that I was like denied an Easy Bake because it was like a girl's toy, or it was pink, or it was in the uh, girl's section. Like, that was like a big thing for me, and I, I wanted the Easy Bake, and I couldn't have it, and it, it kind of, wow. yeah, it kind of pissed me off in a way. So like, I, I wonder- As it should. Yeah, exactly. I wonder if you ever had sort of anything like that in your childhood that you were sort of denied something because it wasn't like a boy toy or it wasn't a boy thing to to watch or to like or to do. You know what I mean? I don't think my parents denied me this, but I do remember because now you're making me think and I was obsessed with G.I. Joe's oh, as a kid. Yeah. And so I had um, I had like all the G.I. Joe's and my cousin Maya, who lived down the street, 
um, she had a bunch of Barbies and she had, uh, it was either pink or red and it was like Barbie's Corvette. And I was like, yeah. what about when the GI Joes aren't saving the world? Like they need a really cool convertible. <laughs> and so she let me borrow her convertible, but it was too big for the GI Joes and it kind of looked a little ridiculous. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I was sort of denied. I'm sure that there are, if I look through, you know, socialization and like seeing what like other boys played with, Mm-hmm. I'm sure I would have been a lot more open to different types of, of toys. Like even when I look at, um, you know, I have my, my partner's nephews, the way that they're being raised, they're into like sports and activities, but they're also into frozen and frozen characters. Right. And it's totally okay that they want to buy toys that are like pink and purple because their parents encourage that. So and sometimes I look at like the, the stuff that they have and I'm sort of like, wow, like I wonder how I would have been different. Um, if, if, if that was a little more the social norm when I was growing up. Yeah. And if this show, I mean, encourages, I mean, cause kids love to cook and you're seeing, you see all these kids competition shows, which of course there are adults on this show, but you see all these kids mm-hmm. competition shows out there. And it's like, if a little boy watching it wants to like get an easy bake oven after watching this show, because of what some dude who's, you know, the bro in the first episode that you mentioned, like he like, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe he'll want to go get an easy bake oven and like play around with that, you know? Absolutely. And I think that's, I I will not take any credit for casting, but uh, being an EP of the show, I did uh, stress very early on and it was fully supported by Netflix and E1, who's the production company. I just wanted like, just the same thing that we try to push the envelope with, um, with diversity on Queer Eye. I wanted to be able to do that with Easy Bake as well, where to your point, it was the first or second episode. We have a bro-y bro ex-football player who used to make you know, sloppy Joe's and, and, and Frito pies for like his friends to a Kurdish mom who had to flee Kurdistan who's never documented any of her recipes, um, as a, as a practicing Muslim woman, um, whose kids encouraged her to go on the show to show what her culture was like, um, to, to the LGBTQI plus experience to, to just keeping it as open as possible. And I think especially in the food space. I think we have such a wonderful opportunity to tell those diverse stories yeah. and just to normalize that and show people. Cause I think people are intimidated by, I'm taking a bit of a pivot here, but I promise I'll come back. People are so intimidated by what they don't know, like mm. such a broad statement I know, but especially with food and you think of like picky eaters who were kids, like I was picky as hell as a kid, yeah, but my parents forced me to try all kinds of things. So when I was a grown ass adult, and like left to my own devices cooking for myself, I had kind of this like little mental cookbook to go back on and be like, oh, well, that's not that weird. I didn't like it as a kid, but I wonder if I'll like it now as an adult. And I wasn't afraid is the point. Yeah, that's really great. Yeah, no, that is something I was talking with. I recently interviewed um, Phil Rosenthal about his show, Everybody, Somebody Feed Phil, you know. Yeah. Great show, great love, everything great, love him. And we were talking about how Food really is, whether it's a competition show, whether it's a travel show where you're exploring food or whatever it is, food really is sort of the common denominator in which people can connect, especially across different, especially with the way things are so divisive right now and people are politically and socially and they're all over the place. But food is the one Mm -hmm. thing where in a show like this, where you can see exactly that, different types of people in one room and sure, they might not have all like hung out in the checkout line at Target and talked to each other, but in this space, right. they're going to talk about like deep frying something for fun. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. And from the judges to myself, what we try to encourage in every single episode, there's at least one line about like 
show us who you are through your food. Like that's, mm -hmm. I know the challenge is cooking with appliances that you find in a hotel room and you can't use your stove and you can only use our large easy bake oven in the second round. Yeah. But like you will come a lot closer to winning if you genuinely show us who you are. Mm. Yeah. Where you're from, what it was like, the food that you ate when you were growing up, the type of stuff that you eat every day, what your reality is like. Like open up that little that little personal culinary memoir of yours and just like bring it to us. And every single person who did won. That's great. That's great. Well, so do you ever foresee, considering that it is easy, easy bake, do you ever foresee like if the show is huge, a children's version of it where they actually do use 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I think that we're limited to the quantities that you can use in terms of like waste with an easy bake. Like they're good at having their prepackaged cake mixes and plenty of them do get used in the show as well. And yeah. I will say a classic easy bake oven is perfect to toast your nuts because they will never burn. You, you, you render some of that fat and they get really nice and crunchy and brown. Um, and Jacques Torres made his world famous chocolate chip cookie in an easy bake. And it was just as good. I'm not shitting you. I actually, really? chewy in the center, crispy along the edges. It was, it was really good. Fascinating. I mean, I, I actually love the idea of an easy bake, just like aside my air fryer, because it is perfect portion control. You know what I mean? It is. That's true. That's true. Just put yeah, it in there. Point. Yeah. You just take a little yeah. bite and go. I mean, of course I would make another one, but like you still, it's portion control. There's that there. Yeah. But the intention is there. That's what matters, intent right? Intent is what matters. Yes. Well, I do have to ask exactly. you about your, um, your partnering up with Jonathan Van Ness for the, for the yummy yummers line. Pet yes. Food which is really exciting. Mm -hmm. I think it's actually a genius idea considering like as a queer person, how much, I mean, people love their pets. All people across every platform loves pets. Like everyone loves pets, but I feel like queer people take it to a next level and that becomes our children in a way where our identities, Instagram accounts, like things are made for these dogs and cats. I mean, myself included. You're describing me. Yes, I am. I know I described yeah. me too. So like, <laughs> how did it all come about? Um, so this was something, obviously, you know, JVN is the proud owner of, I think like 37,000 pets. No, yes. Um, I think four or five cats and two rescue dogs. I, um, I was raised with miniature dachshunds and fostered, um, a rescue pit bull from Austin Pets Alive when we were filming Queer Eye in Austin, which I then ended up adopting. Um, and during the pandemic, I went from doing everything to doing nothing at all. And I needed some kind of purpose and I was in my head and just catastrophizing everything yeah. and fostering a dog was perfect for me because I got to focus on her in, you know, potty training her, feeding her, her meals, taking her on walks, all of that. And I just, I, I, I started researching about like different things that you can give dogs. And I wanted to throw in all kinds of spices and learn that like dogs definitely don't need salt. Like we do. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I started creating my own meal toppers. She was shedding so much when we first got her and, um, I don't know if this is true of all pit bulls, but she's like seven different breeds mixed together. I did do an Embark test. They're like 20 bucks, not an endorsement, but I highly recommend it. And I, I learned that she sheds twice a year, like very aggressively. And she has this blonde hair that shows everywhere. So I started reading about omega threes and fish oils, how they're actually good over time for their like healthy skin and coat. And, um, and also in helping, uh, uh, prevent shedding. So when I would roast a whole section of salmon, I would have this mushy skin that was left underneath. And I only like crispy skin on my salmon mm. if it's on a pan, but I don't want to throw it out. And it also stinks in the garbage. So it's like, yeah, I had this new, you know, garbage delightful gar garbage, garbage disposal. Yeah. Is my dog. Yeah. Um, she'd be fine with me saying that she's taking a nap. It's my um, and so I started, yeah. <laughs> 
(laughs) (laughs) And so I started chopping it up and adding it in there. And then I was like, okay, well, I started feeding her only wet food to switch things up and TMI, her stools were way too wet. So I was like, okay, what can I start giving her? I'm like, okay, sweet potatoes are really good for that because they're good for them. Uh And they kind of help it be nice and dense and it helps for the humans that have to clean up after them. Yeah, and so um, when JVN and I started exploring the uh, the idea, we got in touch through um, through CAA on the endorsement side. We're both rep there, and we met this incredible woman named Rebecca Frechette, who um, who who ran Petco for a really long time, and she's probably even more pet obsessed than we are. Oh, she ran um, Petco. and just incredibly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they have like a they have a wonderful community of like <laughs> pet loving employees and customers and everything. And so we started uh, thinking like, okay, well, like we don't just want to be the next, you know, public facing people just bringing a random product. And we knew that we were very passionate about it. And I knew yeah. that I wanted to be just like I, w- I, I really wanted to be an EP on Easy Bake. I love being part of the process of everything from start to finish. Mm-hmm. I don't like just kind of like showing up and I love having creative control, um, just learning about it because I'm still, Queer Eye has been out for what, five or six years, but I still feel new to this world and I want to learn yeah. as much as possible. And so we were involved in like the recipe testing and learning, um, you know, the nutritional value of food is like fully maintained when things are freeze dried and it's actually good for their teeth because it scrapes mm. like the tartar off and like all that kind of stuff. Wow. And so that journey for me has been like the most fascinating and then like testing things out on neon and sending samples. And it yeah. took like what, two to three years to, to actually get here. It took a lot. Everything takes a lot. Everything in life takes a lot longer than I yeah. always think it will. But, um, but it, it was just such a fun process kind of exploring that. And it was such a natural fit because even though JVN loves all animals, obsessed with cats yeah. and obsessed with dogs. I stare oh. at them like they're A-lister celebrities when they're on the street. Um, <laughs> from the doodles to the mangy rescues alike. I just, I, yeah. I've always loved dogs. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Well, I only have two more questions for you. So yeah, uh, of course. The One of the things that I've always, ever since Queer Eye came out and I, I've noticed it over the years there the way in which I'm going to say collectively social media, the internet responds to Queer Eye, it's largely positive, but there is also sometimes some large sort of negative feedback that can come your mm-hmm. way. And I've noticed like the way you respond to it, I've really kind of admired over the years, but I, I, I would wonder if it has to be hard to sort of balance that sort of all the good messages, of course, with the, the sometimes viral negativity that comes your way. How do you handle mm-hmm in sort of a mental health capacity, just sort of staying calm amid all, not responding to everything. You know what I mean? So I'm going to take you back to <laughs> when season one of Queer Eye first came out. The first few weeks, it was like an overwhelming flood of positivity and love. Like I'd never, like none of us have ever, and I'm all, only speak for myself because Although I love that we still have a, a, a safe space as the Fab Five, where it's kind of like, it's that weird like boy band syndrome where we're like, we know what it's like. And it's always a safe space to kind of like share the things that sometimes we don't necessarily feel comfortable sharing with other people because we do feel so lucky and privileged to be in the positions that we are. Of course. That it is genuinely like family. And I, I can say that of every single one of them, honestly, truly. And um, I remember all this love came in and I was thinking like, oh, like this is what fame is like, okay, awesome. And then there was just like a barrage of like, can he cook? He used avocados in two episodes consecutively. And it sort of like started dissecting everything and disagreeing with this and disagreeing with that. And of course I looked at those and, you know, there are days where 
you can put a post on Instagram and you can look at a hundred positive comments. But if you look at one oh, yeah. that takes you down, that can affect you. And by you, I mean me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I brought it up in therapy, which I'm glad you touched on mental health. And I was talking to, to my therapist about it. And what she mentioned was, she's like, look, what do we know about you? You're a people pleaser, right? So you set yourself up in this life that you have now where it is physically impossible for you to make everybody happy. Yeah. What you can do is check your intentions. And this is like the ultimate exercise in kind of figuring out how to channel all of that. Mm-hmm. If you're going to read the positive, you, I, and I feel this for myself, if I'm going to read the positive, I have to read the negative. Yeah. And so I went through a period where I read everything. And then that wasn't working because it was taking too much of a toll. And then I cut myself off completely. And then I felt completely detached. So I did figure out, you know, a healthy system where I work with like a a lovely PR firm called Lead. And they send me just like a grouping of all the articles. And if there's anything that we want to talk about, um, if there's anything that I read that's negative where I'm like, is this something that I should genuinely be concerned in? Everything, it's always much more severe in my mind. Yeah, of course. Because if it's something directed towards me, I feel like I'm at the center of it. But in the grand scheme of things, there's a million different things going on in the world that are so much more important. Um, yeah. You know, uh, and and I think at the end of the day, it's all about perspective and having a big picture. Just like if I read one news publication that I really admire and respect, I call them the enemy. I'll also go read the enemy for five minutes just to see yeah. what they're up to and what they're saying. Of course. Um, and I, I think for me personally, I've learned that it's a delicate balance. If I wake up on a day where I'm feeling a little more sensitive, probably mm-hmm. a good day to just like not be on social media and spend time with my dog yeah. and call people that I haven't spoken to in a while. And if I wake up on a day where I meditated, I worked out, I'm feeling good about myself. I had a nice balanced breakfast, eight hours of sleep, yeah. all that business, neon's behaving and she's in a good mood. Then I'm like, okay, then I can tackle it. But I think I just take it day by day and I kind of see how it goes. And I'm not perfect at it. Sometimes, of course, I'll obsess and, you know, go over Twitter and then I'm there for two minutes and I'm like, oh, this is why you don't go on Twitter. (laughs) And then I just kind of like channel it out. Yeah, I remember. Because there are things that I can control in the world and there are things that I can't control. Totally. I remember seeing once there was a video. I don't know if it was a something from Queer Eye or something else, but on avocado toast and you teaching people how to do make avocado toast or something, which I genuinely needed because I... I, I will screw up avocado toast um, in some mm-hmm. capacity. And and I remember people were saying, you know, gay Twitter was going crazy in one way. And it was on the same day that something had happened with Trump or there was some big news item that was happening that was like genuinely concerning to the world. That people Correct. Yes, it actually and, affects our yes. livelihood. And I was reading all my friends talking about avocado toast and I wanted to scream being like, what the hell is wrong with all of you? Yes, I want to make great avocado toast and I love making fun of things, sure. But this is happening. Why are we concerned of with avocado toast today? And yeah. look, and that's how I feel. But at the same time, I think people love to, you know, and I, and you see this with a lot of public figures. It's like one day they are beloved yeah. and then something happens, whether it's founded or unfounded or silly or trivial or actually legitimate, people can turn. And then in American entertainment industry, like we love a comeback as well. So then there's this like constant, it's a good reminder also that like nothing kind of like lasts forever and just like let people play it out and the next news cycle thing is going to come in. But for me, just to bring it back, it's like, I always try to check my intention. Can someone be angry that I put Greek yogurt into guacamole? Yeah, they're allowed to be pissed about it. Like they're human. I have strong opinions about food too and stuff that I see on TikTok 
that yeah. I get enraged about, you know? Of course. Yes. Um, crumb, crumbling Pringles onto a casserole or something, oh, although that could be a little delicious if they stay crunchy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, you know, <laughs> everyone's entitled to their opinions and I'm, I'm, I'm not here to make everybody happy. I'm here to, to, to share what I know and what I've learned. Yeah. And that's really, that's the, that's the best that I can do. And I just try to, and it's for me, again, it's like perspective. And I, can't, I have to remind myself, it's a daily reprieve for me. It's like, look at the big picture. Look at mm-hmm. the big picture. Yeah. So if I focus in on that thing, it's like I can catastrophize very quickly. Yeah, exactly. Well, my last question for you is, mm-hmm. Queer Eye, the impact of Queer Eye, I think, I, don't, I didn't expect it to be as big as it was, I'll be honest. I was very taken aback by how big it was. And I, I, I appreciate that people have responded to it in the way that it has, because I think it, especially at a time when I think Trump was elected, it it sort of, it resonated with people in a way that I think people kind of needed in that moment and over the last four or five years. And so I think that's really kind of a interesting, uh, the, the juxtaposition between what was happening in the world and Queer Eyes launch is is really fascinating to me. And so I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you like, what, what sort of impact do you think that the new iteration of Queer Eye has had? And now that we're well, I mean, we're still in a divisive country, but now that we're going in sort of a different direction or things are evolving in different ways, what sort of, how much longer do you think Queer Eye can like keep going on? Or do you think there's ever a time where you have to kind of say, I think we've done our job here? Good question. That's a really good question because I go through, so we just finished a season in New Orleans and we had one in Austin as well. And I remember after the first two to three episodes in Austin, I was feeling like, I remember speaking to our, our showrunner, Jen Lane, who's our like mama bear. Yeah. And I went up to her and I was like, Laner, I don't think I can do it. She's like, what are you talking about? I was like, I feel like I've said everything that needs to be said. Like I've done the thing. Mm-hmm. What do I need to do differently? Like, do I need to be funnier? Do I need to study this? Do I need to like, should I try like being more technical with this? And even when I received some hate for like the simplicity or like from trolls for the simplicity of some of my dishes, I remember going back when we were in Kansas City for season three, because we did one and two in Atlanta. I tried to do, I think, like a cassoulet with someone. Hmm. And she was like, Aunt, what are you doing? And she like put me in my place. And she's like, no, if this person like is interested in going to culinary school and has a French background, by all means, teach the cassoulet. But like, they're not going to make this other than like the scene that they have with you, like make something that is sustainable, that they're going to repeat over time, meet them where they're at. That is the point of our show. It's not you showing off your skills and what you think, you know, and what you've trained yourself to believe. You have to like push out all the clutter and just focus on that. And to that point, she reminded me in Austin and she was like, no, you're just finally comfortable with yourself and you're not trying to go in and like manipulate a situation or or, or, or try to like show off your skills or, or tell some personal story or, what it is, or whatever it is. You're going in with open-ended questions and you're figuring out what you want to do a la minute and treating it like the wild, wild west and just adapting accordingly. Yeah. And to that point, I think that kindness will never go out of style. Mm. I don't think that we'll ever get tired of like true kindness, not just like performative, but actually like showing up seeing how somebody lives, seeing where you can help them, not going with, within with the assumption that they want to connect to their heritage, no matter how important I think that may be, or thinking that somebody wants to explore healthier living. Unless they say it, it is none of my business to, to yeah. make that assumption of a person. And it's forced me in Austin and in New Orleans to kind of like go in and like, okay, 
get rid of those three ideas that like, I think I want to do before I even met the hero. Cause I don't get a photo of them. I know zero information except if they have like a really bad dietary restriction. Yeah. And often we have three locations booked thinking we're, we know the story is going to go, but the night before we realized we have to shoot it at the loft. Cause actually we're going to be doing Ethiopian food. We didn't make Ethiopian food, but that's just an example. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, I'm trying to think of, uh, uh, I feel like I kind of went on a rant, my ADD kicked in, but (laughs) the point is like, I, what I realized is sort of like, stop trying to be a different person. The show is successful because we show up as ourselves trying to help these people where they are at. And there's only a certain set of feelings. My sister, my, my, my sister, my therapist. Wow. I should ask her about that. Bring that Um, up. Yeah. (laughs) My, my, my therapist always says like, there's a certain set of feelings, right? There's like, happy, angry, um, sad, and I forget what the fourth one is, but there's a million different experiences around those four feelings. Mm -hmm. So there's a universality in like what we feel, but all those details are different. And the more stories we tell on Queer Eye, I think we all realize that we've barely scratched the surface. Just like the five of us are a sliver. Yes, it might be more, a little more diverse the way that we look and the fact that we have a gay Muslim and um, a black man and a, and a non-binary person compared to the first iteration of the show. And that's no shade against the first iteration of the show. Cause we literally wouldn't be here without them. And it was a very different time, but like we're a sliver of the experience of the LGBTQIA plus population, just like the heroes are a sliver of the human experience. And so wherever we go, I just hope that we get to keep on going to different places mm. and showing what that's like the most successful episodes on Queer Eye, Netflix doesn't tell us much, but I have heard this said, are the ones where we come in and we're so uncomfortable because I'm looking at this person and I'm like, I'm just waiting for the Trump banner to come out. And it's like, where are the, and it's those people that I think I'm going to have zero connection with that I come in with all my assumptions. And look, I'll be honest, a lot of times I'm right. And we disagree fundamentally on some very core issues. Um, But when you get to learn about how they were raised and you know what it was like growing up and what they had and what they didn't have and what they saw and what they didn't see growing up yeah. you start to understand them better and it's it's harder to to go in with a place of like defensiveness or mm-hmm. or or just assumptions in general and you just realize like oh like you're a human being with a beating heart too like you also want to be a good parent yeah. you also want to show up for your family you also are really passionate about what you do for a living. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's really And wonderful. that's never going to go old. No, it never will. And the kindness will never go out of style, thankfully. I, at least I hope that to be true. So thank Thanks. you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. You too. This is really lovely. Wonderful. I love your, is it a tea selection you have? Oh, oh I, I know have, that. yeah. That- it, it's kind of insane. I love, well, so I have the queen there from my trip. I was just in London and I decided that I had yeah. to put her up just because, you know, and then it's yeah. just cups and stuff. Yeah. A lot of teas and coffees. I'm a big, love. I'm a big beverage person. Same. Yes. <laughs> we'll do a well, whole other interview just on beverages. Alone. Let's do it. I'm game. You let me know when that show. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Thank have you so much for your day. You know what? I'm still pissed I didn't get an Easy Bake Oven, and I think I'm going to buy myself one. Why not? I'm an adult now. I can have an... Well, actually, I I have a big oven now, so I probably don't need an Easy Bake. 
I'll deal with this later with my therapist. Uh, let me know what you thought of today's episode. You can find me at H. Allen Scott on everything. And thanks for listening to Newsweek's Parting Shot. If you liked what you just heard, please, please, please leave a little rating and review and maybe consider sharing it on social media and then tagging me because that would be really nice and I could see it and I like nice things. Just don't say anything you mean. For more on the latest news and podcasts, head to Newsweek.com and follow Newsweek on all the social platforms. And while you're at Newsweek.com, be sure to subscribe to Newsweek's For the Culture newsletter. You can hear from me twice a week, every Tuesday and Thursday. Until then, watch something fun and have a great day. Bye.